This is Amy Bauman, and you are listening to Speaking Truth with Love. For more information about myself or For His Glory Ministry, you can head to amybauman.com. Now here is today's show. Good morning. Welcome to our online service. I'm Chaplain Amy Bauman with For His Glory Ministry, and I'm so glad that you found us online today. We are actually in the middle of our September series, looking at the book of Hebrews. Uh, The first week we looked at chapters one through three. Last week were four, five, and six. This week we're in chapters seven through nine. I don't know if you read ahead. Uh, You might have some questions like, who is this Melchizedek gentleman and how come he's like Jesus? So we're gonna unpack all of that. We're gonna look at the scripture. We're gonna have a better understanding, I believe, at the end of how things that are happening in the Old Testament are related to the New Testament, how God ties it all together, and what he has for us today, these encouraging words from Hebrews. But before we get started, let's open with prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that your mercies are new each morning. I thank you for how much you love us. I thank you for how much you desire for us to know your truth to stand firmly on your foundation of your word and how we can apply that to our lives. And especially now, Lord, as we're living in this challenging world, the encouragement that you are wanting to give us, how you're wanting to make sure that we don't revert back to our old way of life, but to focus on Jesus and everything that is going to be happening and how someday, Lord, he is coming again. So I just pray now, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place that you will do a new work in us, that you will open up our hearts and our ears for what it is that you have for us today, that we can be encouraged, that we can be renewed, and ultimately we can be more like you. We love you and praise you and thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, again, I want to encourage you to turn to Hebrews. We're going to be looking at chapter 7, 8, and 9 today. But as we're getting into this, and I myself, you know, I'm trying to understand um, why he's talking about Melchizedek, why he's comparing him to Jesus. How does this apply to my life? How does this apply to yours? I, I was asking the Lord this, how am I going to explain it to them, Lord? And so I think I know what he gave me was just this imagery that I want to share with you here in a second about, for example, Pentecost and this event that happened in the New Testament, right? After Jesus had ascended to heaven, he told the disciples he was going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And this thing that we see in Pentecost and all these people that were saved actually ties in with what happened in the Old Testament. And I think that's what I want to convey to you today is when we look at the Bible as a whole, and the Bible tells us, right, and God tells us that it's active and living and breathing, right, that God's word can speak to us today, even though it was written thousands of years ago, we need to understand as we're looking at the Bible that what happened in the Old Testament and what happens in the New Testament is all tied together. God is a God of, he redeems, he restores. And so some of the things 
that happened in the Old Testament, we're seeing God redeeming and restoring in the New Testament, bringing into fulfillment everything that he has promised us. And he uses Jesus, right, to enhance and to fulfill the original law, the original um, testament, the, the rules and things that he had given the people, the Israelites, in the beginning. He brings that into fulfillment. And so what Hebrews is, is trying to explain to these people, these people that were reverting back to Judaism, that they were going back to their old customs, their old beliefs, and, and looking away from Jesus and going back, is that we ourselves need to go back and look at the comparison that the writer is telling us about so that we have a better understanding. And in doing that, the people that were reading it at this time would also have a better understanding. I think for me, when someone's trying to explain something to me, they go, remember this? Remember when this happened and then all these things came together? Well, now this is happening and this is why it's better and and this is why you need to go this way because of what happened here. And I think I can appreciate that, right? As a preacher, a teacher, a storyteller, I like that imagery. I like to be able to understand where the writer is coming from and why he's telling us what he's telling us. So before I dive into Hebrews, I want to have you get this better understanding of what I'm talking about and go back to Pentecost. So for example, in the Old Testament, the Passover celebrated when the Jews were freed from enslavement and Pentecost celebrated when they became a nation committed to God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the crucifixion of Christ during Passover week is something we look back to as a time when humanity was provided freedom from being enslaved to sin. And how God orchestrated this out was the exact timing for these holidays, for these festivals, for what they were celebrating back then. He orchestrated that so that Jesus would be a part of fulfilling what those old festivals and, and uh, traditions were now, later, when Jesus was on the scene. Pentecost, through the giving of the Holy Spirit, it's a celebration of entering this new relationship with God. So what happened in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfills in the New. In the Old Testament, as you read the accounts, you find that when God gave the law, the Torah, to Moses on Mount Sinai, he wrote the Ten Commandments himself on the tablets of stone. God himself carved the Ten Commandments into stone to signify the covenant relationship that they had with his people. So now if we look at the New Testament, the image of the Holy Spirit being given to the disciples mimics this finger of God. And in this case, it was the tongues of fire signifying the new covenant relationship that was being initiated with all humanity, right? All of us have access to this gift and to all those who would trust in his son, Jesus Christ. In both cases, God sealed the deal symbolically through a direct intervention. Number three. 
Pentecost being directly tied to the Feast of Harvest, there is a direct correlation to the harvest the disciples experienced following the giving of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.41 tells us the following, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And just like the Jewish people who had made a sacrifice of first fruits on this day, we see the early church members also making a sacrifice of their own. Now all believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. My point is that what was happening in the Old Testament, God is redeeming and bringing into this fuller understanding in the New Testament. And that's what Hebrews is the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us when he says Jesus is like Machilzadek. So let's look at that today. So chapter 7, Machilzadek the priest. We read, This Machilzadek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Machilzadek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. So if we're reading this, we're coming across this, and maybe you did this, I know I did, is, okay, well, what does all that mean? And so fewer persons in the Bible are shrouded with more mystery than this Machilzadek, king of Salem. And after the battle against the five kings in Genesis 14, 17, which I went back to, right? I'm like, okay, where is Machilzadek in Genesis? But sure enough... We read about Machilzadek in chapter 14, verse 17, and we read, After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlamer, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva. Then Machilzadek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise to be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Genesis, now it's coming back. He's telling us who Machilzadek is. And he's saying centuries later, after the coming of Christ, the author of Hebrews looked at this account and drew a number of analogies between him and the ultimate high priest. Remember, the author of Hebrews has just been continuously reminding us that Jesus is greater. He's greater than the high priest. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the prophets. And now he's saying he is just like Machilzadek, but he is greater. So the book of Hebrews doesn't really say that Machilzadek was literally the son of God, but it's making um, these figurative speakings, drawing us into 
of this comparison between who Melchizedek was and who Jesus is today. So literally, uh, Melchizedek was a priest outside of the Levitical priesthood. Therefore, he was not a minister of the law of Moses, which came later. But Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate priest outside the Levitical priesthood. Therefore, not a minister of the law of Moses, which Jesus fulfilled. Here you see this fulfillment happening in the New Testament, which is what we, I just want to keep bringing you back to, to remind you of what's happening in the Old Testament is being fulfilled, enhanced through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So Melchizedek was a king of righteousness, according to a translation of his name. But Jesus, Jesus is the king of righteousness because he purchased righteousness for all of us on the cross. Melchizedek, we read there, what, what I read was king of Salem, which means king of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace, which one day brings a kingdom of universal peace to all of us. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, when he lives inside of us, we have that peace. We can grab hold of that peace that Jesus gives us because he is the prince of peace. And then it also goes, out to say, goes on to say, without beginning of days or end of life resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, having neither beginning nor end, eternally one with the Father and the Holy Spirit as God the Son. So the writer is trying to show us, he's trying to show the people of that time as they were fluent and well-versed in the Torah. They understood the laws. They understood um, Moses. They understood the Ten Commandments. They understood all of the rules and regulations, all the tabernacle, the festivals, the sacrifices, all of that, right? And he's trying to show them, okay, remember this? Remember what happened here? Well, Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Jesus fully enhances what was originally given in the Torah. And, and Jesus brings this to life in this fuller capacity. And so that's what we're reading as we're coming into uh, 7, 8, and 9, specifically chapter 7. Uh, so now as we go into chapter 8, the high priest of a new covenant. We got to remember there was a covenant made with Abraham and with the people. And what he's saying now is now there is a new covenant. And this is what you need to grab onto. So as we start off in chapter eight, what he's saying about this new covenant is that it's a better covenant. It's better because Jesus is ultimately the high priest. And it says every high priest in starting in verse three, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. But we drop down to, to verse seven for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would 
have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You've got to remember when God established this covenant with his people that they turned away from him. Everything that God did to be able to be in community with them, in relationship with them, and live among them, the people turned away. The people turned to, reverted back to their old ways of slavery and to multiple gods and deities that they had worshipped in Egypt. They reverted back. They turned away from God. And so God said, okay, I'm going to make a new covenant, a better covenant, and And instead of just seeing the Ten Commandments, the laws that were written out by my finger, I'm going to write them on your heart. He's moving away from these rules and regulations to a relationship, which at the end of the day, this is all God has ever wanted with his people. It's only, it's ever been about the relationship. And the author of Hebrews is trying to remind them of that and say, listen, You have a greater priest, one that is offering a better covenant and ultimately doing this because God loves you and wants to have this relationship with you. When we go into chapter nine, it says worship in the early tabernacle. So the writer is showing them the reader what happened uh, originally with the tabernacle and how everything was supposed to be just so uh, a tabernacle was set up so that they could worship God in the first room where the lamp stands and the table with its consecrated bread that was called the holy place behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place which had the golden altar of incense and the gold covered ark of the covenant This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. And above the ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now, right? Because there are so many details and so many things. And when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that had committed in ignorance. And he says the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. But then we move over into chapter 11 and it says, 
the blood of Christ. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats, of calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption, the imagery that is being painted. And if we look back in um, Exodus and Leviticus and all of the things that they were doing, right, to, to be in relationship with God and, and all of the sacrifices and all of the festivals and all of the atoning and, and all of the bloodshed, right, all of the bloodshed, what the writer is saying now because of Jesus, because Jesus is greater, right, we don't have to do all that stuff anymore. We don't have to follow all of those rules and regulations that were so important to get us atonement, to get us everlasting life, to get us forgiveness of sins. Now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can have that. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial, unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then? with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. According to Hebrews 9, 1 through 10, the tabernacle represented the first covenant mediated through Moses, which is what the people are focusing on, right? But its external regulations applied only until the new order came, brought about by Jesus. And so he's saying, listen, don't revert back. Don't go back to that. Jesus now has died on the cross once and for all, for all of our sins. And he is enhancing everything that was in the Old Testament, the Torah, the law, everything that you've learned. Jesus is now greater, enhancing that. And there's a new covenant, a better covenant. And that's what he was trying to get them to understand and what the Lord wants us to understand today. Sometimes we can get stuck in the rules and the regulations and the doctrine, the old ways of doing things. Are we aligning our lives with God's word? Are we looking at the new covenant that was created for us? Are we following what the word tells us? Are we living that out every single day? I think so many times it's second nature to revert back, to go back, to say, it's okay. I'm just going to go back to the way it used to be because I was comfortable there, right? I knew how it all worked. I knew that A plus B plus C equals four. No. I knew what I was doing then. I knew how to go and, and do the sacrifice. I knew how to have the festival. I knew how to follow the rules. And what Jesus is giving us, right, is this greater relationship with him. So that it's not just about going through the motions. It's about living it out. It's about wanting to live a righteous life. 
It's about wanting to do things that glorify Jesus so that we can have that everlasting life and forgiveness of sins so that we can be more like him and we're going to have a greater impact. It's going to be greater for us, greater for those around us. It's greater. Can you tell I'm excited? And that's what the author is trying to tell the people then and what he's trying to tell us today. I think it's important as we read, starting in verse 24, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. When we start to unpack it, when we start looking at the Old Testament and the New, the Torah and what the New Testament says, the old way of life with the sacrifices and the atonement and the festivals and how God has weaved this beautiful story lining everything up to the day, right? We can see, we can have this bigger image of how much he loves us and his desire to be in relationship with us. But do we really think about that? I think sometimes we bump along and we just, because it's easy, we push the easy button and we're like, I'm just going to go back to the way it was. That was so much easier over here. I think I'm just going to do that. It's not an easy road to follow Jesus. But when we unpack his word and we see how carefully and tediously and how much he loves us that he would do all of this for us, that he would give us Jesus, who is greater, greater than Melchizedek, greater than Moses, greater than the prophets, greater than the old, the guys of old. He gave us Jesus so that we could have forgiveness of sins and everlasting life and that that sacrifice was paid for. It's done. Now it's our turn to receive it. It's our turn to walk it out. It's our time to believe, to wake up, and to do what the Bible is telling us to do. This mysterious priesthood of Melchizedek, as we read about, pointed forward to the eternal priesthood of Jesus Christ. 
who ministers grace and mercy to us based on his own sacrifice for our sins. And I think sometimes we brush that off. We don't think about that so closely. We don't remember what he did for us on the cross. This kind of helps us have a better understanding, puts things in perspective. And in my old life, I would have come to Hebrews and I would have went, oh, this is too hard. And I would have just kind of breezed through it and read the words and moved on. But when you dive in, when you unpack it, which is why God wants us to do that, we can uncover this beautiful imagery, these beautiful stories, this beautiful truth of how much God loves us and how he wants to have a relationship with us. Are you ready? Do you want to grab hold of that today? It's a free gift. He offers it to each one. It's our choice. What will you choose? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you know the temptations that we face while living in this world. And you know, Lord, in our flesh, how easy it is for us to go back, to revert back to our old ways of life, to revert back to old sin and step away from stepping out into that, walking it out every single day. And sometimes it's just easier to sit down and give up and listen to all the lies of the enemy and not move forward into everything that you have for us, every single promise. And Lord, I just pray today, I pray that you will encourage us and strengthen us and wake us up so that we will no longer look back, revert back to that old way of life, to that sin, to those rules and regulations and and all the things that are of old. And we will grab on to this new covenant, Lord, in you. We will grab on and receive all the promises that you have for us. We will grab on to this eternal life. And in this, in this moment, Lord, I just pray for those people that are on the fence, those people that are struggling and, and don't know how to move forward. And I just ask, Lord, now that you will invite us. And I would say, Jesus, I have sinned. I have reverted back. I have wanted to live in the, my old ways. And so I repent of that today. And I ask that you do a new thing in me, that I will believe that you are greater, that I will live out each day in this new covenant, this better covenant, and I will receive your forgiveness for all of my sins. Help me to get up, wake up, accept your forgiveness, and sin no more. I want to leave behind my old way of life. I want to leave behind my old way of thinking. I want to leave behind where the enemy has kept me. And I want you today to do something brand new. Come into my heart, Jesus. Live and reign and rule and help me to follow you. You can say those words today. You can invite him in to live and work and move. He loves you so much. He has such great plans for you. Let him do a new thing today. 
We thank you for this time, Lord. We love you and praise you, and we seal it all up by the blood of Jesus, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Don't forget to come back as we finish up next week, those final chapters in Hebrews. We wrap everything up, the series up, and I just pray that until then, you will have a good week, and until next time, until we can be together again. Be blessed. Thanks so much for joining me today. Stay tuned for more Tuesday teachings, Sunday sermons, and encouraging messages along the way. And until next time, be blessed.